As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another fantastic edition of The Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition, the last one before the official start of the 2022-23 season. I'm Rob Pizzo from CBC Sports, joined as always by Jesse Granger in Vegas. How are you, Jesse? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited for the season to start, as I'm sure is Mike Russo, who's joining us from Minnesota. How are you, Mike? I'm doing great. And we'll probably throw a shot or jab at Daniel Nugent Bowman to talk Oilers a little more uh, in the second half of the show. So you got Rob Pizzo, you got Mike Russo, you got Jesse Granger, you got a couple days before the season begins. What does that mean, guys? Predictions. We have to do our predictions. Everybody does their predictions. And the best part of predictions, um, when you're right, you bring them up at the end of the season. I called this on October the 5th. And when you're wrong, it just never happened. You pretend it. we never said a damn thing. So we got a lot. We've got 15 things uh, to get through. Uh, and I want your opinions on all of them. And we're going to cram as many of these in in the first segment as we can. You guys ready to go? Yep. All right, let's do this. Number one, who's going to have more points? 
Jonathan Huberdeau or Matthew Kachuk? Big trade in the offseason. Obviously, one of the ones we've talked about quite a bit. We will start this one with Jesse. I'm going to go with Kachuk, uh, with the reason being I think these guys are both going to have uh, some some a period of kind of adjusting, but I think his game is easier to adjust. It doesn't depend on him having chemistry with the teammates. He's going to cause havoc in front of the net. He's going to get tips. He's going to get rebounds. He's going to get deflections. Whereas I think Huberto, he had such great rapport with those guys in Florida. I think it's going to take him some time to build that in Calgary. Mike? Yeah, I I I, I hear what you're saying. I'm going to go with Huberto. Um, and I'm not just doing the old, uh, you know, like uh, you got to disagree with the person you're going up against, <laughs> guy. I, I hate when they manufacture it on TV, but I, I just um, there's something about Huberto's game that I just loved in 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 Florida last year. I mean, every game I watched, he just worked his absolute butt butt off, and and I just think that you know, for a guy that that finally really broke out and and had a ton of points, I think that's going to translate in Calgary playing for. Uh, somebody like Daryl Sutter, who I think sometimes people too often look at him as just being this defensive-minded coach. And um, you know, the other thing is, so far in camp, uh, Kachuk and Barkov haven't played together. Who knows? That's obviously fluid. That could change very easily. Um, but but I'm going to go with Huberdeau right now. As am I. I'm going with Huberdeau mainly because I think he's got more to prove. I mean, he was shocked. He was upset when the trade happened. I've heard Daryl Sutter with very pro Huberdo and very anti Kachuk comments in the offseason. I think he's going to give him all the rope he needs to score a lot of points. Vegas has the over-under for Huberdo at 94.5, while Kachuk's at 83.5. I think a man with something to prove is kind of like that guy going into a UFA year. The points are going to come. Topic number two, kind of along the same, you know, Topic, uh, who finishes with more points as a team, the Calgary Flames or the Florida Panthers? Mike, we'll start with you on this one. I, th- I think the Flames, I think the easiest, easier division, you know, uh, although I do think that the LA Kings, the Anaheim Ducks and the Vancouver Canucks are going to be better this year. But I just think there's more chances to peel off points in that division. Um, and I just uh, I really like the Flames, especially with that goaltender in, in Markstrom. Yeah, I hate to just copy what Mike said, but this division sucks. Um, Pacific Division is bad. Uh, I don't. I, I think the, the Pacific Division is clearly the 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 worst of the four divisions, and I think Florida. Um, when, whenever you have that breakout 122 point season, I I think you're bound to to have some some uh, just falling back to earth. I still think they're going to be a really good team, but I think Calgary, even with all the new pieces, I think they're going to have a pretty easy time in this division. There's not maybe Edmonton is really the only other team that can contend with them for for the for that Pacific title. So um, it's a much, much easier path for the Flames. So I'll go with them. I'm going to make it a clean sweep. Not only is it a shitty division, they got better, which is mind blowing when you lose two 40 goal scorers that your team, at least in my opinion, got better. Topic number three, Nazem Kadri. Will he have more or less points than he did last year? He had 87 points. Jesse. This might be the easiest prediction we make. There's absolutely zero chance he's getting as many points as he had last year. None. I bet as much money as you want. I don't know what his point total is. It's pro- the thing. The problem is his point total over under is probably way below that because if it wasn't, the sports books the sports books would get hammered with under bets. Uh, no chance he matches it. It was a it was an amazing season on a team that was ridiculously talented. There's no chance he matches it. Yeah, and and on that team, you're you're making sure you focal focus point is on checking McKinnon, and I think it opens things up for Cadre. Uh, so I I agree with you. I mean, right now, according to Daily Faceoff, his uh, line mates are Mangiapane and Dylan Dubé. 
Um, that's not exactly, uh, you know, Colorado-like. So um, I would agree with you. 87 points last year Kadri had. I think it'll be tough for him to reach that this year. Very, very tough. And like I said, a player going into a UFA season who wants to get paid has that extra motivation. He gets paid. I'm not saying that the motivation completely goes away or anything, but that 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 drive maybe isn't there to, to put up the points. So I'm going to make a clean sweep with the no as well. Johnny Goudreau. Shocked everybody. One of the biggest surprises in the offseason heading to Columbus. And of course, as soon as somebody goes there, you think, who are they going to play with? And Patrick Lyonnais' name keeps getting brought up. So here's the question, guys. Will Johnny Goudreau get Patrick Lyonnais his first 50-goal season? Russo, you're up. I'm going to go no. Um, I like I actually like Lyonnais, but I don't like his work ethic on too many nights. And they're just... Even watching last year, actually, one of those games last year that I that I was thinking about when Huberto, when I was talking about his work ethic, was a game against Columbus where I felt Line was was absolutely dogging it the entire game. So he's going to have to play a harder game and not just sit in that you know left face off circle and swipe puck. So um, my guess is no. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess no. Also, um, his his career high is 44. That happened back in 2017-18. Um, to me, when I look at that, it's he played 82 games that year. Um, he hasn't played over 70 games since then. It's been a while and he hasn't played over 70 games. He only played 56 last season. Um, I just don't think he's going to be available enough to score 50 goals. You've got to be out there for probably 70, 75 games to score 50 goals. And I just, so far the last five years, it hasn't looked like he can do that. See, Russo, clearly we didn't agree to disagree because I'm going to make a clean sweep yet again. And here's the reason. I just don't see Goudreau and Line 8 being line mates for the entire season. I just don't. Because when you look at Columbus, okay, you've got Goudreau, you've got line A and what Boone Jenner down the middle. That's a very top heavy lineup. When you look at the rest of the Columbus Blue Jackets, I could see them trying to, to, to split those guys up to move the offense around. I just don't see 50 goals from line A. And I totally agree with Jesse. I don't know if I see 82 games, whether he's playing with Goudreau or not. We're just motoring along here, guys. All right. Will the Ottawa Senators, who were obviously very busy and a lot of people applauding what they did in the offseason, will they be in the playoffs come season's end? Jesse, you're up. I'm going to say yes, um, because it's more fun than saying no, because they never make the playoffs. <laughs> well, at least they haven't in a long time. <laughs> I th That division, the, you've got Florida, Toronto, and Tampa that are clearly the best three. Last year, it was such a big split between the four with Boston and the rest. I mean, it was the Grand Canyon between the four that were in the playoffs and the four that weren't. I think Boston's taken a big step back. I think losing Bruce Cassidy hurts. I agree. They have major injury problems. And I think there is, whether it's that top wildcard spot or maybe the second wildcard spot. Maybe the other division doesn't take all the, the spots like they did last year. Um, I think Ottawa gets in. Yeah, this is a tough one, guys. I mean, uh, like I really do like the Ottawa Senators. I was talking to LeBron about this about three weeks ago, about how I think they probably had the second best offseason out there uh, with Calgary. Um, but a 27 point improvement would be the what they would need based on last year's point threshold of Washington getting in at 100. That just seems awfully, awfully um, high. But I agree with you. Like, I think Boston takes a step back, if depending on what happens with uh, Marchand and McAvoy and how long they're out. Um, you know, it just, uh, there are teams to me that aren't nearly as impressive this year. But 27 points, I know I'm sort of waffling and not giving an answer. I just think it's going to be awfully tough. So I'm going to go no. I'm going to waffle a bit too. I, I, here's what I will say. Ottawa Senator fans will have a reason to check the standings for most of the season. That's what I'll say. I think they'll they'll keep it interesting, and they're definitely moving in the right direction. Uh, I'm with Mike in that 
the numbers just don't add up for that quick of a change. I know they're saying the rebuild is over and you got to pat Pierre Dorian on the back at what he did in the offseason to keep this team moving in that direction. The Cam Talbot injury uh, certainly doesn't help, but this division is tough and I just, it's, it's going to be tough. Next year, maybe that's a whole other story. Let's talk goals, guys. Austin Matthews knows how to do it. 60 last year. Does he do 60 again this year? Jesse. So usually when a guy scores a career high, you think, okay, his shooting percentage was off the charts. It's probably not going to do that again. I went and looked. Austin Matthews actually had a lower shooting percentage this year than he did last year. That's incredible. Um, I it, To me, that tells me, yes, he can absolutely do it again. His shot totals have gone way up from 222 two years ago to 348 last year. That is a massive jump, I think. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt you. I was betting the over on Austin Matthews shots per game almost every game early there you on go, the season. Yeah. They, kept, they kept setting it at like two and a half, three and a half shots a game. I'm like, you'll get that in the first period. But continue. I yeah, want to throw that yeah. in there. I, I, think, I think between <laughs> between the, the increased volume of shots and I think the power play, the, the other big difference from, from the year before to last year when he made that big jump and goals is he only scored three power play goals the year before he that jumped up to 13 last year I think uh, Spencer Carberry he's the guy that kind of runs that power play I think he's a great power play mind he was a guy that I thought Vegas should have looked at to hire so I did quite a bit of research on him um, I think the, the Maple Leafs power play is going to keep clicking yeah I think Matthews can score 60 or more I agree I mean it, what he didn't score I think in what six of the first seven games or five yeah. of the first six last year um, I, I was thinking about with uh, even Kaprizov here in Minnesota he had 47 and he didn't score in the first eight games um, I scored. I covered Pavel Bure when he scored 58 and 59 goals in a clutch and grab era in in um, Florida, and it's still one of the most exciting uh, teams I've ever covered. Just watching him play, and you look at Austin Matthews right now, and the fact that this league is just getting more and more offensive. Like I don't think that last year in a league that it just felt like we were in that uh, soft puck era. It, it just felt to me like um, that's not going to change the way the rules are now. I just think that Austin's going to continue to thrive, and um, and I see that this league uh, as offensive as it was last year. I think it's going to continue to to produce uh, major major offensive totals, and Austin's as good as it gets. I think he hits sixty, and I think he flirts with seventy. I think we actually talk about a possible fifty and fifty. I think he scores in such bunches that if he doesn't get off to that slow start, we're going to talk about it. He scored in 41 games last year. And in those 41 games, he had 60 goals. It's what he's doing and the type of goals he scores too. Like sometimes he scores from angles that you just shouldn't be able to score on. His release is something like you just don't see anywhere else in the league. He had 20% of the Leafs goals. Last, I, I mean, you, we can just do this all day. I think 60s right in there, and I think he he flirts with 70 goals. Let's move over to Chicago, guys. Um, you know, there was that era where Chicago was the model franchise. People asking whether or not it was a dynasty, three cups in six years. And now we're asking the question if Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane will still be Blackhawks by the end of the season. Russo, we'll start with you on this one. Um, it's a good question. I mean, like Kane, I'm telling you, we, I was just in Milwaukee the other day, guys, and Kane uh, looked miserable. And he looked like he was going through the motions. Now, how much of that was just playing a preseason game in Milwaukee, which a lot of veterans don't want to get into. Um, but he just, you know, uh, he just didn't look like himself at all. And, um, you know, I think that they're going to want to get themselves out of there. And I think they're going to make that very clear to management. And uh, so my gut says that at least one of the two gets uh, gets traded this year. And I can see being Kane. 
Yeah, I agree. I think it's Kane. I think if this team is looking to rebuild, which they they clearly have, I think the last couple of years they've been delaying it. They've been in denial that they need to rebuild and they've been trying to get guys like Seth Jones. But I think based on their moves this offseason, I think it's clear that they have finally realized it's time to rebuild. And I think the one guy you can get a lot for is Kane. I mean, this guy is an elite goal scorer. There's going to be a contender, whether it's now or at the deadline. And I think at the deadline, he becomes even more valuable because that cap hit is so minor. Once you get to that far in the season, I mean, you only have to you only have to account for that percent, that small percentage that he's got left in the season. I think at the deadline, you can get a pretty penny for Kane and it's going to be too hard for them to to turn that down. It's going to that's going to really help jumpstart the rebuild. Keyword, you said there was elite. He's still elite. Uh, and I, uh, he's a guy who's won Stanley Cups who can help a team do so and knows how to do so and is still those hands just won't go away for a long time. And, and Patrick Kane will not be a Blackhawk by the end of the season. I agree. Jonathan Taves, I could see that move not happening. Um, Alexander Ovechkin, the freak that he is, scored 50 goals again last year. Um, so the question was asked, will Ovi score 40 or more goals this year? I'm going to go first on this one, guys, because something that's happened 12 times since 2005, I'm not betting against it happening. I used to think the 894 record from... Some guy who wore number 99 on his back was unreachable. I'm not necessarily saying that anymore. He starts the season 145 goals away. I think it's crazy that he scored 50 goals in his 17th NHL season. That's bananas. And I'm never betting against him not scoring 40. So I'm going with yes. Jesse, you with me? Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I, I think you you said it best when you said it's happened 12 times. What are we doing even like debate? Yeah. It's going to happen again. And if it doesn't, that'll suck. But I'm really hoping that it does because, man, it's fun to watch that guy just stand in that circle and beat goalies from the same exact spot over and over and over again. I think he does it. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I'll, let's just make this a quick one. Yes. <laughs> I, what other player could literally go to the goalie on the other team and say, this is where I'm going to stand. This is where I'm going to shoot from. And just good luck. Go out and score 749 goals. Or just the opposing penalty kill. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just like, you know, I mean, I just think it's hilarious. Like every single pre-scout for every single coach in the league says, this is where he's going to score his power play goals from. Stand there, block it, do something. And yet he just stands there and scores. He's, it's, it's just magnificent to watch. Well, we're going to probably talk about a coach getting fired at some point this season, guys. So let's look into our crystal ball. Who's the first one to get the pink slip? Jesse. Yeah, this I really had a hard time coming up with this one. Part of me said LaViolette because I think the Capitals might underwhelm. But I think the one like Hackstall is the one I'm going to go with. And and yeah. the reason I waver on this is because I don't think Hackstall is that good of a coach. I think Seattle can do better, but I don't know how patient they're going to be um, in, in Seattle. They're clearly taking the long-term approach here. And part of me says, no, they aren't going to fire Hackstall no matter how bad they are because they are taking this six-year approach to try to build this team. They're building front through the draft. Um, I don't know, but I, I do expect Seattle to be bad again. Um, I think maybe the expectations are a little higher with some of their their young stars finally starting to play. Um, so so I'll go Hackstall. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I think the most pressure is obviously on Sheldon Keefe. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, I think the most vulnerable is probably Bruce, Bruce Boudreaux. 
just being in the last year of his deal, they only were willing to give him the the option, not not extend him two or three years. And and the other thing with Vancouver, once they gave JT Miller that long term extension, that to me says they want to win now. And a team that has Pedersen and Horvat and JT Miller up the middle with that goalie and Demko, there is a lot of pressure to win now. So they better get off to a good start. But the guy I'm going to go with is Dallas Aikens. So, you know, new G, you know, second year GM. Usually when a GM comes in there, you're going to want your own guy. This is already, I think, Dallas's fourth year there. Um, I do think they've made moves to show that they still, even though it's a building situation, they're going to want to win there. So I'm going to go with Dallas Aikens. It's interesting. Sheldon Keefe is the favorite in Vegas as the first coach to get fired, which I agree the pressure's on, but this team doesn't have problems winning in the regular season. <laughs> right. Mean, Some coach is going to get fired. Yeah. yeah. I, my, my, the reason I don't pick him is because someone's going to get fired before the Leafs lose in the first round. Yeah, exactly. So when it, when and if the Leafs lose in the first round, I agree. Sheldon yeah, Keefe may right. get the axe, but this team's going to challenge for the President's Trophy, in my opinion. It's just a matter of when they can get to, to the playoffs. I'm going to quickly contradict myself a little bit here. I do think the Ottawa Senators are going to take a big step forward. But if they don't, I think DJ Smith goes. I think I think they are at a point where they we've heard it now two years in a row. The rebuild is over. And if they're going in the wrong direction, I can see them wanting to make a change. All right, guys, this is a little more rapid fire. I want your answer. I want a quick sentence as to why you picked that answer, because these are picks that everyone does. Mike, last place team in the NHL this year. We're going to go way out on a limb. I have a feeling this is going to be another clean sweep. Uh, Maybe not. I'm going to go Hawks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Why the Hawks? I just think they suck. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, again... They brought a pretty representative lineup the other day, and that team is just bad. You got two goalies in net that, you know, maybe, you know, Mrazek hasn't played a ton in the last couple of years. Same things with Staylock. Just not not loving that team right now. Jesse. I'm, I'm going to go with the Flyers um, because I think Tortorella wow. makes them hate their lives by the end of the season, and they all just want to quit hockey. Um, and I think the Arizona State Coyotes are going to get a boost from that awesome facility they're playing in with the uh, intimate environment. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Flyers, worst team in the league. I thought we'd all be going with uh, the Arizona Coyotes are proud to select Connor Bedard with the first overall pick. I I, I, I think they're going to be so horrible. I was looking at Dom's model. They have a 0.03% chance or about 3,001 of making the playoffs. <laughs> Not winning the cup, making the playoffs. I'm going with the Arizona Coyotes. Now let's go to the other end of the spectrum. President's Trophy. Jesse. Colorado, they're the best team in the league, and it's not close. I think in the playoffs, crazy things can happen, but over a regular season, they're the best team. Ditto. We clean sweep this one. That's interesting. (laughs) We didn't clean sweep how terrible Arizona is going to be, but yeah, we're all on board with uh, the Colorado Avalanche. I wonder if we're going to be on board with this one. Rocket Richard Trophy. Mike. Austin Matthews. Yeah, I mean, I just argued why he's going to score over sixty, and I don't think anybody's going to score more than that. So, Matthews, these and these you are called them, you Rob, you said seventy. Seven, so I, I said I seventy. So, yeah, unless someone's going to score more than seventy, it's Austin Matthews. Uh, Norris Trophy, Mike. Oh man, that is a good one. I'm going to go. I'm going to go Yossi. I I just I still think that he is just. I mean, right on top of the league and just everything. Uh, and, you know, obviously I watch him a ton between Minnesota and Nashville. I still think he is he's uh, not taking a step back anytime soon. Yeah, I think it's either Yossi or Makar. I'm going to go Makar. Um, he might win it every year for the next 10 years. Uh, but and, until people t- get tired of voting for him, and I don't think we're tired of voting for him yet. So he's he's going to win it. <laughs> I think Yossi always, Yossi's offensive totals always make people think. 
But when you watch Kale McCarr and how he controls the game, he is the best defenseman on planet Earth. He's just incredible. Hart Trophy, the big one, the most valuable player, dot, 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 to his team, which we have to remember. Uh, Mike, we'll go with you on this one. I'm going to go with McDavid. I'm, I'm, you know, uh, I know that uh, we're going to have Daniel on here in about a second here to talk about the Edmonton Oilers, and I guarantee, you know, one of the big things here this year is is just talking to him at the NHL media tour a couple weeks ago. McDavid is just, um, you know, determined to make amends for what he feels was an embarrassing showing by his team against the Avalanche last year in the uh, in the Cups semifinals. And I just think this guy's going to come in ready now with the goaltender and Jack Campbell. Let's be honest, Jack Campbell's not the reason why the Maple Leafs lost last year. Um, I think that that team is going to be really good. And then when you have McDavid just driving the bus, uh, I, I'm going to go with McDavid. Yeah, I'm going McDavid also. I think he's the best player in the world. And I think that he kind of sees all the talk about Austin Matthews. Is, is he catching up to McDavid? Is he as good? Look at all these goals. Nathan McKinnon got all the love all summer long about how, how a lot of people say he's better because his team won. I think, I think McDavid is, is uh, more motivated than he's ever been to prove he's the best player in the world. You talked about voter fatigue, kind of getting tired of voting for somebody. I think we're getting there with McDavid. So I'm going with McKinnon. Not too many players like him can score, can pass. And man, is he fast. All right. The big one guys, how we're going to end this segment your Stanley Cup champion. Who wants to go first? Because uh, this one, I could tell you both are still kind of debating on who you want to take. So right, I'll pick Jesse. Go ahead. All right. Yeah, I, I'm not. This is not a convicted answer. I'll tell you that. Um, it's so hard to pick. I mean, the Avalanche are the best team, but I don't want to pick them to win it back to back. I'm going to take the Carolina Hurricanes, um, a team that we, we talk about how like you always try to find the next team that's going to copy what the last team did. They've been close, just like Colorado has. They've had really, really elite regular season teams that just haven't shown up in the playoffs. I think Freddie Anderson may not be elite, but he's the best goalie they've had there. Um, I think they made some great moves in the offseason. Paul Stasny, Brent Burns, I think is going to bring a lot, especially to a team that holds the puck in the offensive zone as much as that team does. I think he's. I think it's going to bring out his strengths and not and hide some of his weaknesses that we're kind of showing in San Jose. Um, I, I like what the Hurricanes did. If they can get Max Pacioretty back, Mar- Miraculously, after that, after that Achilles tear, it'd be even better. That team's stacked. I'm going to go with Hurricanes. Man, that's who I was going to go with, so now I have to change it. <laughs> no, you don't. I'm so no, glad I, I went first. I'm so glad I went you first. You know, I do, I do wonder where Carolina could have gone last year if they had a healthy Freddie in there. Um, you know, he, he obviously had the injury. You know what I'm going to do just to, for the fun? For shits and giggles, I'm going Toronto. <laughs> oh, you know, just like I, I, I just I say Ottawa can't get a 27 point improvement to make the playoffs, but somehow this team that can never win in the first round <laughs> is going to go and win the cup. But I believe in Dom Lecision. I can't spell his last name, but I believe in him, and his model says that's the team to beat. Right, uh, so we got to go with we got we got to trust our analytics expert, and nobody has better models than Dom. So I'm going with Toronto. We're going to see Matt Murray. We're going to see Matt Murray parading that cup with down, the con smite uh, with the con smite right beside him too, yep, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe I'm doing this guys, but it when you think about it, having the two best offensive players in the world on your team and one generational player usually should be to win a Stanley Cup. I'm going with the Edmonton Oilers. I think they finally got a full nice supporting cast where it's not McDavid and Drysdale or bust. I think it's been an upgrade in net. I think Everywhere around this team got better. And I think last year really showed a step in the right direction. And if they could get Jack Campbell to play well enough to get them to, to move along, they'll outscore any team that, that that stays close. Obviously, Colorado is a huge, huge hurdle they'll have to over overcome. But 
yeah, I'm taking the Edmonton Oilers. So there, guys, that is our crystal ball predictions, 15 of them. Uh, and like we said, the rule is this. If we are right, we will go back to this YouTube channel and play this clip over and over again. If we are wrong, we never said a thing. I did I did a ton of ton of research for this segment too. So, <laughs> so there you have it, guys. Our crystal ball predictions, 15 of them uh, for the upcoming 22-23 season. And remember the rules, guys. If we're right, we're going to brag about it and tell everyone we called it in October. If we're wrong... Well, guess what? We're never going to talk about it again. But we are going to talk to Daniel Nugent Bowman about the Edmonton Oilers that we talked about a lot in that first segment. So don't go anywhere. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, continuing the athletics look at the top 10 storylines going into the 2022-23 season. This week's focus uh, is the Edmonton Oilers, guys, and... The question that I got emailed seems simple enough. Can Connor McDavid lead the Oilers to the promised land? And um, it seems like a simple question, but there are so many layers uh, as to whether or not that's going to happen. So we got some help. DNB, Daniel Nugent Bowman joining us to talk some Oilers. How are you, Daniel? I'm well. It's good to be on with you guys. Um, I guess we can't attack this question without first kind of going backwards a little bit to the playoffs last year, because if you're an Oiler fan, there certainly was a lot to get excited about. I mean, that Battle of Alberta series was one of the most entertaining series I've seen in a long time. We saw McDavid somehow find another gear. We saw Leon Dreisaitl excel on one leg. I mean, what can we take at least from that playoff run uh, that'll spill into this season that maybe gives the Oiler fans something to be excited about? Well, I think it's that Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are, are pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I think we figured that out by now. Uh, you know, these are guys that have, have, have won scoring titles and, and you know, MVPs. And, uh, you know, for a long time here, it was just these two players. And, and to some degree, you saw that in the playoffs with those two going just absolutely crazy uh, offensively. And especially, you know, as great as McDavid was, um, the end of the, that Los Angeles King series was the best I think I've ever seen him play. Then you look at Leon Dreisaitl and, and as you mentioned, Rob playing on one leg and, and doing what he did. Uh, these guys were at two points a game and and boasting offensive numbers for guys that had that didn't end up making the finals, not seen since Doug Gilmore in 93. So, I mean, <laughs> what more can you ask of those two guys? That, but they started to have this cast of characters around them that were, you know, you don't get to the Stanley Cup semifinal without without some guys. Uh, kind of contributing to the the cause and you know even underrated guys like Cody Cece you know Mike Smith had his moments he's obviously gone now but 
Um, Zach Hyman, obviously Evander Kane, who's back uh, scoring at almost a goal a game. So when you look at that group and they're back, you know, they have a full year under head coach Jay Woodcroft who took over with about 37 games left. Um, and then you add the, the, uh, you know, a goaltender in Jack Campbell, who, who kind of solidifies that position for the first time, giving them a, uh, a started goaltender for the first time, rather since, um, since, uh, you know, in four years, since Cam Talbot was here, um, this could be a, a team that I don't think is quite at that top tier with, you know, Colorado and, and, and uh, Tampa Bay, but probably that next year behind, and especially in what I think is a pretty weak division, a pretty relatively weak conference. Um, I, I, you know, I think this is the time for it for Edmonton to make some noise. So uh, I think they could, you know, you never know exactly in the playoffs, they could play Calgary again and easily lose a series to the flames. But the, the goal is certainly to get to the Stanley cup final and, and ultimately to win the Stanley cup. And, and I give them a, a puncher's chance to do that or as good a chance as say, you know, a few other teams in, in, in the NHL. Yeah, Daniel, I, I couldn't agree more with you about, uh, when you, when you really assess the conference and the division as a whole, like I, I look at Colorado being the clear number one. And, and to me, I don't see why Edmonton can't be the clear number two. And, you know, talking a couple of weeks ago with McDavid at the, at the NHL car wash, it sure felt like he realizes that now this could be their time and that he still feels like there's a long way to go after playing Colorado last year. What, what type of, you know, right now do you see in him and his determination to really take this team to the, the, you know, proverbial promised land? Well, it's funny because that was the best run and the best team that Connor McDavid's ever been on, but they lost in the conference final and they got swept in a series that they were never really in. I mean, they kept a few games close, but it was a sweep for the abs and, and one that was justly deserved. And it you kind of got the impression that in the day or two that followed that it, it was kind of like Nathan McKinnon the year before where he said, you know, we have, I haven't won anything or, you know, uh, and you, you kind of got that from McDavid and, and dry and some of those core players where um, they feel like, you know, they only got halfway there when you look at it because they didn't even win a game in the conference final. So um, McDavid is, you know, I haven't been around that many athletes, but certainly the most driven athlete I have ever been around. I mean, this guy wants to find ways to get better. He, you know, he's, he's worked on his shot the last couple of years. He's, you know, been very studious in the last couple um, years in terms of understanding what it means to be a better defensive player and, and certainly working on that quite a bit more under Jay Woodcroft and, and Dave Manson when they took over in, in uh, February. Um, there's going to be a little ways that he gets better over the course of, of his career, kind of like Sidney Crosby, where his McDavid's face-off play has, has gotten much better in the last two or three years. So, um, you know, it's getting to the point where you're probably going to see the, the tip of the iceberg for McDavid in terms of, of, of sheer numbers and, and um, you know, offensive production points whatnot but uh i don't think we're quite there yet but i think ultimately as as he surpasses that or gets to that point and, and starts to kind of tail off from an offensive perspective it'll be a gradual one because he's an amazing player but i think he'll he'll round out his game and continue to round out his game in other ways to make him um you know the the hall of fame player that he's are that he already is uh, and one that will ultimately win uh, at least one stanley cup and, and maybe a couple over the course of his career Daniel, you you mentioned uh, goaltending getting better, and and I, to me, when I look at this team, I feel like the depth of the forwards and goaltending was the biggest concerns. 
I'm wondering how how much do you think they fixed it? How much do the player like players in the room how 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 confident are they that Jack Campbell is the answer? Because I think um, there's a great argument that Jack Campbell's a clear upgrade over Mike Smith, but there's also an argument of a team that just thought Jack Campbell wasn't maybe good enough to get them to to where they wanted to be in Toronto. So, like, what what is the feeling in the room? What's the feeling in Edmonton in terms of where the goalies are at? Well, you're never going to hear a bad word about Mike Smith because this guy is a fine, finely conditioned athlete who, you know, lasted in the NHL into his forties and was a real vocal and uh, uh, I would say on ice leader for, for that team. But it's clear to me that, that Jack Campbell is an upgrade over Mike Smith. I mean, he's, he's far younger, uh, you know, 10, 12 years younger, um, right in kind of, if not the prime, then maybe just past the the ultimate prime of a, of a goaltender. And goaltenders sometimes, as you know, Jesse can can kind of stretch their careers out a little bit longer. You look at you know Mark Andre Fleury as as one example of a guy you covered. Um, I, I mean, and Jack Campbell's kind of a young thirty uh, year old. He's somebody whose career uh, took a long time to materialize, and it's really been the last couple of years that, with the Maple Leafs that he uh, was able to establish himself as a as a number one goaltender. Now that maybe gives you a little bit of cause for pause, where you think, oh, okay, maybe he's not, uh, maybe the quite quite the established goaltender that um, you, you'd hope for a team of this cali- caliber. But I think um, not only is he primed and ready to take this job, and there's a lot of guys on the le- uh, on the Oilers, <laughs> I kind of misspoke there, that believe in him because he has so many former teammates with the Leafs. Uh, that that lo- that really love this guy, that respect him, um, and he's come in and, and really tried to um, make his presence felt, and also get to know it, and uh, you know build some camaraderie with with some of the guys. Uh, you know, Stuart Skinner, his his goaltending partner, to be one of them. Uh, but Zach Hyman, Cody CC, um, Tyson Berry, really all all know him really well and speak very highly of him. Um, the old ten- the Oilers just need, in my opinion, good consistent goaltending. They don't need. Um, you know, Vesna caliber trophy type of guy. That uh, obviously every team would want that, and that would be a luxury. Uh, but the Oilers, with the offense firepower that they have, uh, we talked about McDavid. I think this is the best uh, top nine that they've ever had uh, in the McDavid era. Uh, they're going to outscore a lot of problems, and uh, their power play has been either the best or among the best for the last three years. Um, you know, I, I think they just need competent, good goaltending, and, and Jack Campbell should be able to provide them with that. Uh, and the offense should take care of everything else. Uh, Daniel, teams responding positively when there's a coaching change midseason is nothing new. We see it all the time. Um, and we saw it with the Oilers last year. Uh, but a lot of times you'll see a team stumble out of the, the gate with that same coach the next year. And I'm wondering what you're expecting to see from a, as you mentioned earlier, Jay Woodcroft getting now a full camp, a full season, everything in front of him. Has the you know uptick from a coaching change worn off, or do you think this is uh, some changes we're going to see leading into the season that that with 82 games in front of him will be much better? Yeah, I, I think it's more the latter in the sense that he came in and tried to kind of pick away uh, at the edges, he and Dave Manson, at, at what some of the things that were ailing this team. And so we, they focused a lot on, um, you know, backtracking for forwards, uh, making sure defensemen were kind of standing up uh, on rushing forwards at the blue line. Um, they didn't really want to overhaul a lot of things. And, and now they've had a whole camp to kind of specialize what they want to do. Uh, not only that, but I mean, you're looking at some roster adjustments where a guy like Lauren Fogel, who killed a lot of penalties in, in Carolina, um, for whatever reason, uh, well, I, part of the reason is uh, that Steam has a lot of penalty killing forwards, and and under Dave Tippett, he never got a shot there. 
Um, Jay Woodcroft didn't want to just, you know, he, he put in guys on the penalty kill who he knew from Bakersfield. So it was Ryan McLeod. It was um, uh, Kyler Yamamoto. Uh, even Evan Bouchard, Evan Bouchard, excuse me, got a little bit more uh, time there. Um, so now Warren Fogel comes in and he was kind of lost in the, the at the end of last year. He was even uh, scratched for a couple of playoff games. Uh, couldn't really find a role. And now they've got him on right wing instead of left. They've got him. Uh, killing penalties in the preseason. I think he's going to have a, a solidified spot there on the third line and more, um, you know, a role, a solidified role for a guy that they, they really, you know, banked on. They, you know, they gave up Ethan bear and they, and they paid him, you know, gave with a three-year contract when he, when he was brought in last, last summer. So um, there's little tweaks like that, that, you know, the, and, and again, we go back to what this team is, Let's, you know, um, you got Connor McDavid with four more years on his contract, Liam Drysettle with three. This is a very hungry team, um, that is kind of seeing the late at the end of the tunnel after their run last year. And, and I, uh, I mean, they're this league is tough. I mean, the last time the Oilers, you know, won a playoff series in 2017, they missed the playoffs for, for two straight years after that. Um, it, it, it there's so much parity in this league, but again, I think the Oilers are in a, a, a relatively weak division and should be able to. Uh, you know, in concert with them being hungry, take advantage of of their their spot here in the NHL. And Daniel, obviously, uh, you know, cap situation has been a big topic that that you've written and talked a lot about there in Edmonton. Seven point five seven nine is what cap currently has them at. They're going to get obviously some relief on with Mike Smith and I. I, I assume Clefbaum. Um, wh- where do you see? I mean, they're still going to have to do some maneuvering. What's the latest with Pulley What do you anticipate happening here in the next week? Well, they've been pretty, and I say they, I, I should say, you know, Ken Holland and, and you know, his lieutenants in management uh, have been pretty steadfast in their um, stance that they're going to have to carry a 21-man roster if they aren't able to make a trade. Now, the three guys that have been uh, forefront of the trade rumors and, and report speculation, whatever you, however you want to categorize it, are Pooley Arby, who you mentioned, Mike, uh, Warren Fogel, a guy that I mentioned, and, and Tyson Berry. Now, um the market the guy whose name has really been out there as, as you, you mentioned is, is Jesse Pugliarvi who um has got two more years of team control he's got one year uh, one year contract uh, with arbitration next year it's a three million dollar contract you know a significant raise over uh, I believe it was 1.175 million that he made last season I uh, had a great start to the, the to the season last year by the end of December he was averaging a point a game or just just shy of that through you know 25 games or so and then he just really fell off a cliff from an offensive perspective. Now, you know, a lot of people love the analytics here. Um, certainly provides a good two-way game, um, you know, can complement uh, McDavid, could play a third line if you want to do that. Um, but there's no question the team wants more of an up- offensive, um, you know, offensive production from him. Um, you know, the mark has just been so soft on him. His name has been out there for, for quite a while. Uh, you know, if they had their druthers, they would prefer to move him. Uh, but you know, they don't want to move him for futures because this team is in its, its, its championship window right now. And at the same time, you know, you're trying to clear cap space and, you know, they're kind of stuck right now because this move, especially with the the cap situation for so many teams around the league, there there aren't very many teams that could take on $3 million right now. Uh, or else the others are going to have to probably take something back that they don't want to do. And and that's not something that they were particularly interested in. So, um, it's, it's a tough situation. They're unless the trade is made again, they're going to have to go with a, a 21 man roster. And, and that means 12 forwards and seven defensemen there. There's going to be some guys on waivers um, uh, that, that are going like guys that are going to need to go on waivers in order to clear up some space. So 
Um, they have two preseason games left that they have to declare their roster by Monday afternoon. And it'll be really interesting to see kind of what they do um, because there's probably going to be at least um, three guys with NHL contracts put on waivers. And that's not even counting, um, you know, Jake Vertanen and uh, Jason Demers who are on PTOs that are probably at the end of the rope pretty soon. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a pretty tough situation. You know, it's, it's not an, uh, an enviable position to be in really, but at the same time, it, it does show that, you know, the team is trying to put and management is trying to put their best team on the ice in this McDavid era. Um, and if they have to carry a 21 man roster and, you know, uh, which means 19 skaters and one or two go down and they have to play shorthanded for a game, they're, they're willing to do that and, and suffer the consequences of, of doing, you know, being shorthanded for a game and bringing a guy up. Uh, that makes a 850 or less 850,000 or less uh, to replenish their, their, uh, their lineup. So it's uh, again, it's, it's, it's probably not the best case scenario for, for the team. They'd rather, uh, uh, you know, well, carry a 23 man roster and make a trade, but if they have to go in with the uh, 21 man roster, they seem uh, uh, comfortable doing so. You, you mentioned, you think this is the best uh, top nine. Um, I think it, we probably would all agree with that. Is there anybody you're looking at? Um, that, that you think, other than the obvious ones, that you think is has really stuck out to you in training camp, has maybe taken a step a, a forward. You think is is going to have a bigger season than maybe they had in the past. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're looking purely at training camp, it would, would certainly be Dylan Holloway, who uh, is their uh, first was their first pick uh, in 2020, and a guy that really has kind um, of had some tough luck in the last uh, year or so. Uh, two surgeries on his wrist that cost him about 10 months uh, of, of game action. Um, and then even last year, uh, when he got, came back in late January, uh, they were, the Oilers were looking at, uh, he was playing well enough for the Oilers were looking to call him up mid or late in the season as a late season call up to, to give him some seasoning, um, seeing what he could do. And then he got hurt again, uh, a knee kind of a knee thigh injury there. And um, so now, I mean, he did get in that last playoff game against Colorado. He didn't play. He only played a few minutes, but this was, is a guy that should have, could have been an NHL regular by this point, but he's been very good at camp. I mean, starting from the rookie camp, best player uh, at their tournament there in Penticton, British Columbia. Um, you know, three of the four games, I think he's played in the preseason. He's been the best player on the ice uh, culminating with the, the last game on Monday where he had a hat trick and four points, albeit over a, an AHL version of the Vancouver Canucks, like you, you, most Arden hockey fan would would need to do some uh, some searches on Google to, to 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 know some of those guys that they dressed. But um, the big the promising thing was, you know, he got to play with Leon Drysaddle and and uh, Zach Hyman in that game, and did not look out of place at all. I mean, if you have a hat trick, obviously that that's uh, kind of speaks for itself. But strong hockey IQ, great skater, uh, excellent shot. Um, you know, this is a guy that he has to be on the team for cap reasons, uh, with, with the team being an LTIR, they can't afford to have, uh, his performance bonuses, uh, not go into their, their bonus pool. So he will make the team. It's just a matter of how long he stays. Um, management has been steadfast in saying that he will be in the top nine. They don't want him on the fourth line, uh, or else we'll go back to the, to the American league. Um, but the, all signs point to him being on this team. Uh, where he'll be, uh, you know, two guys that Jay Woodcroft knows very well uh, from their time in Bakersfield together, especially in McLeod. Um, and McLeod really took off under Woodcroft, uh, you know, got a lot more again. I, I mentioned the penalty killing, but uh, became a bona fide, you know, top nine player un under Woodcroft. And he can center lines. He can um, he can play the wing a little bit, too. 
Uh, I think you're going to look at, at him playing on the second power play unit, which doesn't play a lot here because the, the big boys do so well and, and, uh, and get the lion's share of the minutes. But uh, a guy that I could see, you know, possibly, you know, doing as well as doubling his point total from 21 uh, from la- last season. So, uh, yeah, they have a lot of good young players that are that are pushing. Um, ultimately, this team thrives and, and if the success it will have uh, will be because of the big guys. But um, there are some, you know, some some depth players that uh, are pushing, which has been a really uh, a very much a sore spot for this organization. In the yeah, past. Daniel, just lastly, uh, you know, the, the one thing that you struck me at the very beginning of the conversation is the parallel you made to Colorado and how Nathan McKinnon, you know, two years ago basically said, what have I won? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still remember Adrian Dater basically saying to him, don't you have to say at some point, you know, F it, you know, and I, I get what Adrian was saying. And it almost feels like Edmonton's in that exact scenario, humbled last year in the in the semifinals. And now this really could be the year. Yeah, I mean, it very well could be. I think this team, there's not a lot of holes on it. I, I don't think it's the perfect team. Um, you know, I'm more bullish on their defense than some people, but I, I would, I would still admit it's not perfect. Uh, you look at a guy like Jacob, Jacob Chicken, who's, who's out on the market. I think he'd be the perfect ad for this team. Uh, I know there's some reticence in the uh, reticence in the market, uh, at least from, from the organization to do it. Um, certainly with this, with this injury history and, and, uh, they don't want to move a guy like Philip Broberg, who, uh, is, a you know, expected to, to play you know, reasonable minutes and, and get better as the season and as his career goes along here. So, um, but yeah, I think they're, they're maybe missing a defenseman. I think up front their their biggest hole is fourth center, which if that's your biggest problem, you're doing all right. Uh, certainly a spot that could be easily filled throughout the course of the year. Um, and Ken Holland's MO and, and what he's done every year as general manager of the Soilers team is to add a defenseman um, by the deadline. So, um, I think this team will only get better in terms of its makeup, uh, throughout the course of the year. Uh, you know, Colorado certainly augmented its team at the trade deadline and some significant additions that played key parts in that championship. I don't know if the Oilers would do quite that much, but I could see the first round pick being in play. I, I can see them making a splash at the deadline. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, like we talked about how many teams are better than the Oilers for sure in this, in this conference, Colorado, you might put Calgary in that perspective. A lot of people I talk to um, seem to think Calgary has improved off the season that they had last season, which is a uh, remarkable work for, for uh, Brad Trey living given uh, he had two 40 goal scorers lead the team. Um, but really, I, I mean, you know, there's some other teams there. Certainly uh, the playoffs are predicated on um, injuries, matchups, luck, um, in health is part of the injuries and if the Oilers catch a lot of those breaks uh, I, I see no reason why they can't get to the cup final um would I put my money on it they're in that group and uh this is the time again they're in their championship window they have three four years to do this with McDavid and Drysdale here uh it's time to start making hay here in Edmonton and, and I think they have a real good chance to to do some of that well we got Daniel on to answer the question can Connor McDavid lead the Oilers to the promised land and after all of that I could say Yes, but don't put money on it. Daniel, thanks so much for doing this. Enjoy the season. Cheers, guys. Thanks so much. Daniel Nugent Bowman talking Edmonton Oilers and Connor McDavid. After the break, we'll hit the topics that we didn't get to in segment number one. So don't go anywhere.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, guys, we spent the whole first segment making predictions that will probably not come true by the end of the season. So uh, some of the news from the week we didn't get to the way we usually do. So let's get to it right now. And the big one uh, came down yesterday. Matthew Barzell signs that extension. Not a surprise. Eight-year deal. Again, maybe not a surprise. $9.15 million AAV. Uh, people on the Twitter sphere were a little split on this one. Your uh, initial <laughs> reactions to uh, that, let's face it, that that big number. Jesse, we'll start with you. Yeah, uh, shocked. Um, I mean, he was 88th in the league in points last year. Um, I, don't, I don't know what that ranks him in terms of highest paid players, but it's got to be top 10. Um, I think there's room for him to grow. Obviously, he's a young guy. I mean, what is he, 24? Yeah, 24 years old. But I think that's expecting a lot of growth. Um, I know we. I, I did kind of talk about when McKinnon signed his deal. These deals are going to go up. Um, and over the next couple of years, when the cap goes up, we're going to start seeing bigger deals. So maybe by year four of this deal, he's not anywhere near the top 10. Maybe he's he's probably in the in the 20 to to 40 range. So somewhere to me, that's kind of where he belongs as a player. Like I think his he's he's a very good player. He can be the best player on his team. I don't think he's a top 10 player in the NHL. Um, but it's, I guess we're going to have to see where it goes. I, to me, that is, you, they're projecting a lot in that contract, and you're asking for a big increase in production compared to what he has been. What do you think, Michael? I agree. I mean, he scored, what, 20 goals once uh, in the league? And I mean, obviously, that is, you know, he's more playmaker than that. Um, I think the hope in New York is that they're going to be, you know, start to play more offensive minded systems uh, than maybe the Barry Trotz uh, days. Um, but look, he's only 25 years old. It's a projection contract. It's a day and age when everybody in the world seem to be signing eight-year deals. And, you know, with the news uh, last week with Bill Daly coming out or, or Elliot Freeman's report coming out, expecting that this cap in the next three years is going to absolutely skyrocket, I think, you know, probably that was music to uh, the ears of Barzell and probably to Lou Lamorello that felt like this was absolutely worth it, that, you know, at some point, $9 million might be um, a player that isn't, you know, considered superstar level. Now, I think Barzell has all the gifts and all the tools in the world. They've got to get some support around him on his lines. 
Um, and we'll see if it if it happens. So, um, you know, the eight year deal didn't surprise me. The over nine maybe did, but maybe uh, maybe things changed in the last week uh, with the news of the cap going up. I think the cap going up, and I think you alluded to it there, Mike. There had to have been something that in this coaching change that Lane Lambert said we're going to let you be a little more free out there, whereas a Barry Trot system. Yep. You know, maybe how much of Barry Trotz's system contributed to him being 88th in the league in points. I'm not saying he's going to jump to top five, but suddenly you've got a coach who's going to take the shackles off her for lack of a better term. Uh, you know, maybe that that encourages you to sign that deal. And you know what, Rob, um, at, <laughs> at the car, at the car wash, Barzell actually alluded to that. Um, I can't remember the exact quote that both um, that Sean Gentilly and me, and me put in our story, but but Barzell basically said that and sort of alluded to the fact that it was, uh, you know, sometimes a little Jacques Lemaire shackles on him and, and things uh, might be opening up for him. So um, I don't think you're you're too far off on that uh, that assumption. By the way, David Pasternak has to be doing backflips with this deal, right? <laughs> because if Barcel's <laughs> getting 9.15, yeah, that yeah. he's doing backflips after this year. Um, the other piece of not. news. Yeah, for sure. Um, Mike, we're going to start with you because you're, you're very familiar with this one. Uh, Cam Talbot, uh, out five to seven weeks with an upper body injury. Um, it's, according to a few reports, it was believed it's a fractured rib that happened in practice. And so, uh, the Sens are now going to turn to Anton Forsberg to kind of weather the storm, and they picked up Magnus Helberg off of waivers. Uh, I know a lot of people are expecting, I mean, some good things from this Ottawa Senators team, but this cannot help, can it, Mike? No, I mean, they had such a great summer. Then you start off by, you know, the big trade that you made to get Cam Talbot, and you start off in this situation with obviously him on the shelf. He's gotten, you know, hurt, had a couple bad luck injuries here in Minnesota as well. Um, you know, I, I feel for him. I, I think that, you know, this there's few goalies that I've ever covered that works as hard as Cam Talbot does in the offseason, and I know he went in there with a great attitude and was looking to really uh, provide a backbone to a team that that has high aspirations this year. And so, you know, the the good news, though, for the Ottawa Senators is I think Anton Forsberg is a fine goaltender. In fact, I, you know, one big, there were a lot of people, we were working on our goalie tandems things a couple of weeks ago, and a lot of people that I talked to were actually surprised that they went out and made this move because they thought that Forsberg was in a position that could maybe take over the number one and, and maybe at some point this season would do that. So now he's going to get um, every opportunity to go in there and provide the backbone, and I think he's capable of it. Yeah, I totally agree with Mike, what Mike said there at the end. I think Forsberg, I think there's a good chance Forsberg's the best goalie on this team. Um, he's obviously not the veteran presence that Cam Talbot is. And I do think that on a young team like this that's that hasn't won, that's trying to kind of make that take that step and be a winning team for the first time, I do think there is some value in having a guy like Cam Talbot that's been around so long. But just from pure goalie standpoint, um, just talent on the ice, I think Forsberg might be the better goalie. I mean, he was 14 and a half goals saved above average last year. And that's that's a really good number for a guy who split the net and wasn't the guy. Um, like you, you see some of the other goalies that are up there in the rankings above him. And it's like, well, they played 60 games. Of course, they have more goals saved above average. So I think I think on a per 60 basis, Forsberg was very good last year behind a team that wasn't very good. I think if the team in front of him can play a little better, Forsberg can can be good enough back there for sure. It so, felt like so 10 of those 14... The- if- I said it was, I was going to make a joke that it, uh, it felt like ten of those fourteen goals above uh, above save happened in the Minnesota game when we were up there uh, like a week in, week or two into last season. Forsberg was unbelievable against Minnesota. Yeah, so it was good. I was just saying, I guess weather the storm might not be the right term to use then because it's really his job. If you if if 
if he does well in these first five to seven weeks, I mean, does Cam Talbot find himself coming back and, you know, having the best seat in the house, opening up the, the, the door for the defenseman? Who knows, right? Um, last one, guys. I, I saw this and I, I right away jotted it down that we had to talk about it on the show. Um, Cody Glass, drafted in 2017, you know, had some injuries, has been trying to crack a roster. There was a video that came out. He's in David Poyle's office and he's told he's made the roster. And at first, it just seems like any other video. And I, I've, I'll be honest with you. I almost stopped it. And then David Poyle says to him, oh, do you, do you think like you're playing, you're playing well? Uh, he says, yeah, I worked really hard in the offseason. And then he gets super emotional and just starts crying at, you know, making the roster. And I know I sound like a broken record. I've said this so many times on this show. Sometimes we're so enamored with AAV and, you know, goal saved above average and all these other things that we forget that these are human beings. And, and he was just so overjoyed at making this team. He couldn't hold it in. And he's, he's crying in the general manager's office. And uh, I thought it was, I thought it was great. Um, and I wanted to ask you guys, because we've all been around this game a long time. We've all talked to players and GMs and coaches. Uh, you ever had that emotional moment where somebody you're talking to somebody and they're just overcome with emotions and, and so much so that it almost kind of hits you too? Uh, Mike, let's start with you on this one. Yeah, I'm um, definitely. I mean, not this was obviously a happy moment, and you could see that how proud he was to make the team. Um, I've had real tough ones, you know, during sad moments. I remember talking to Zach Parisi when his, um, you know, his dad uh, twice talking to one when we were talking about his dad being diagnosed with cancer, but then the other one in Dallas a couple days uh, before JP passed away. And uh, JP was put into hospice care, and and you know that was a tough conversation and tough story that I had to write. the The one a couple of weeks ago with Brock Bester was real emotional. Yeah. Um. One really one that that reminded me of this was Serge Paye. Serge Paye, who's now an agent in the game. I covered him in Florida. We were in Ottawa. <laughs> this is actually a really funny story. We're in Ottawa with like one point five two seconds left in the game. He's taking a center. Len Barry's on his right. And uh, his parents, his his parents, his dad decides that he's going to go to the to the bathroom. Like, what could happen, right? And well, his dad missed his son's first NHL goal, and so <laughs> <laughs> like Len Barry wins a faceoff back to Pie. Pie scores in his hometown of Ottawa, and his dad's in the John. And um, but anyway, I get we get back to Florida, and I do this big feature. Actually, I think we went to Montreal, and I did this big feature with the family. And I remember Serge breaking down. Um, of him making it to the NHL because he had, you know, his Guillain-Barre syndrome and there were some really tough moments where he thought, you know, if he was ever going to get to this point and here he was in the show in his hometown, scored his first NHL goal. And it really kind of reminded me of that, that emotion of just somebody that's overcome a lot of stuff that we never get to see as reporters. And now he's in this point. And that's the coolest part of these videos and these behind the scenes things that these yeah. teams are allowed to yeah. do now is that we get to now be in that room when a kid is told you've made the NHL. And I think it's really awesome. Jesse. Yeah. To, to start, I'll just say it felt really good to see Cody Glass happy like that. I know Cody uh, really well from working with him in Vegas and could not be a nicer kid in the NHL. I'm sure there are ones that are as nice as Cody, but um, he's he's just he felt the pressure. He really felt the pressure of being the highest pick uh, here in Vegas, and it didn't work out. And um, I it, it was I I have seen him in the lows, so it was good to see him um, have a good moment like that. In terms of um, guy, it actually just reminds me of a something I did a few weeks ago. Um, Shea Theodore. Uh, here in Vegas. So he he had a cancer scare himself where he had testicular cancer. Um, luckily, he caught it quickly. And since then, um, and, and his grandmother passed away from cancer um, last year. And, and since then, he has kind of made it his mission to help 
cancer patients in Vegas. He started his uh, K's Power Play Fund, which is named after his grandmother. And uh, I got to go with him to the Comprehensive Cancer Center here in Vegas. And he kind of just toured the facility, um, took time to to hug and shake hands with every single nurse, every single patient in the entire building. And then I was kind of asking him about it. Like it, it, it's sad, but like, like Michael was saying, there are sad cries and there are happy cries, but like, it was a little bit of both because I was talking to Shay and he was, I was kind of asking him like, how, how cool is this for you to, to kind of keep your, your grandmother's legacy going with this foundation and help people. And he started getting kind of teary eyed. And like, I found myself getting a little emotional, just, yeah. just talking to him about it. Um, so that was what immediately uh, came to mind. I think we see a lot of players doing. You you hear a lot of players, oh, donated X thousand dollars to to whatever philanthropic things that they're doing, and those are all great. But I think uh, what we don't see in those press releases is like a lot of these guys. These these things mean a lot to them, and the fact that just because they play hot, they're really good with a stick and blades on their feet on ice. Um, they're able to do incredible things off the ice. So that was kind of what stuck out to me. Yeah, for me, it actually did, dealt with the uh, the Olympics in Pyeongchang back in 2018. You know, I'm not going to lie. I've, I've done a lot of interviews where people start crying. And just as a lifelong broadcaster, my first initial thought is, oh, this is gold. You know what I mean? Like, that's just what you first think. But 2018, I was following Team Canada. I actually followed like the whole selection process, followed the team around the world um, going in. And, and Wojtek Wolski was on that team. And if you remember, he in the KHL slid into the boards and broke his neck and he was in the hospital for a while and he was tweeting pictures of himself with like a brace on and um, they didn't forget hockey. They didn't know if he was ever going to walk again. He recovers, goes to the Olympics, Canada wins a bronze medal. And by this point, like I said, I got to know him pretty well. And I kind of had this question in, in my head leading up to it. And and for people who don't know, at the Olympics, you, it's, it's not a full interview. You have maybe two questions before they sweep them along. And I just said, I go, you know, have you put this into perspective? Um, a year and a half ago, you're tweeting pictures of the broken neck. And now that broken neck has an Olympic medal around it. And he just broke right down. He broke. He's, he just could barely speak. And I, that was the first time I found myself. You know, because again, you kind of get to know people and, and, and he's like to come all the way back to win an Olympic medal. And then that clip kind of went a little crazy and it went everywhere. And my phone was blowing up saying, you know, you know, how, how did, you know, this clip got me emotional, got everybody emotional. And it's, it's one of those times where you almost exit your own body and you're like, oh God, I got to get back to being, you know, a reporter and doing my job. But, um, they're crazy moments like that, that a lot of times people don't get to see, right? No, no doubt. I think, I think people even forget. You know, sometimes us reporters are crotchety old reporters are used <laughs> to, and there's so many yeah. times in interviews when, um, whether it's you know happy or sad, you know, you're like, uh, you know, you, you you can't help but let your emotions uh, yeah. come out. I mean, I, I had an interview the other day where I was like crying with laughter just at some of the lines that this player that, that Ryan Hartman was telling me, and uh, you know, there. I mean, that's the one thing you develop relationships with these guys is as uh, Jesse mentioned, covering Cody Glass. And so you see something like this, he can't help, um, you know, but feel for him. And, and, you know, in this way, it was just a really, really cool moment that um, I, I love. You know, Bill Guerin does that here in Minnesota, too. He lets the cameras in the locker room. There's so many things that we get to see as reporters and fans now that we never got to see before that's always kept was kept behind closed doors. And I think this now, for the rest of time, 
I think Nashville Predator fans are going to really respect Cody Glass because they're going to see how much he act- it means to him to get to this point. And look, he's still got a long way to go to be an established NHL player, but this is the beginning and we got to all see it. Well, speaking of that, what are you crotchety old reporters working on this week, Mike? We'll start with you. Um, I uh, It's funny you said that. I'm making a list right now of all my uh, big things. I got uh, the Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, again, I can't announce what our project is, right? I don't want to be the one to... to Keep teasing everybody with this, man. I can't Scoot wait. The athletic. <laughs> but Octo- October 11th, we have a really cool project uh, beginning at The Athletic, and I am honored that I got to be the first one to do a feature. Um, with this project, and it, it's a really great feature on a, on a real fun feature on Marc Andre Fleury uh, from b- being at his house in Montreal. I got a really cool Jake Middleton story that's going to run the, on October. Uh, so that's running October 11th. October 12th, I get doing a really cool Jake Middleton feature. Uh, all all fans, not just Wild fans, going to love this story. Another one that it was like I had lunch with him, and it was just crying with laughter of just some of the lines that he was giving me. And then October uh, 13th, opening night for the Wild, I got a Zuccarello and uh, and Kaprizov uh, story on their bromance that they have here in Minnesota. And then uh, there'll be a lot of national stories to come. But right now, until Joe Smith gets here, I'm still the uh, wild beat writer solely. So I've been covering training camp and not doing a ton on the national side. Yeah, Does he? I uh, I've got a, a story that just came out today. A fun story on uh, I think we've like a lot of reporters have done these stories on um, just a, where each player sits in the locker room. It's such a basic thing. Um, but I think fans find it interesting and you get to see who sits where. So I do, there's like a, a diagram of where they all sit. And then the best part is I walked around to all the players and I tried to get them when they were sitting next to each other, like pairs of players and just ask them like, what's the worst part about sitting next to this guy? And they would <laughs> just rip on each other. Alex Petrangelo and Shea Theodore um, were hilarious. They're like an old married couple. They sit next to each other on the defenseman wall. Um, and and just guys talking about uh, Jack Eichel talking about what it's like to sit next to Phil Kessel and how, how he just keeps the entire room dying of laughter the entire time. So fun story about where they all sit, what what the best spots are, who the worst person is. Uh, spoiler, the worst person to sit next to is Marcia. So that's what every single player on the team says. Um, wow. But, but- <laughs> But uh, yeah, and then and then I've got some big features like like Michael. Uh, I've got it's it's the season's coming up. I've got I'm working on some big features on some guys, uh, some of the star players. The biggest one uh, probably on Mark Stone and just uh, how ridiculous he is. Obviously coming back from uh, back surgery, but um, it's been fun because I've been talking to a lot of kind of star players. Eric Carlson, I got him when San Jose was in town and. I feel like the things Mark Stone does aren't as obvious to f- to fans watching on TV as like what Connor McDavid does and what Austin Matthews does. So I've been getting these players to kind of describe to me like what what it, why is it so amazing what he does in their words, and uh, I've been getting some really really good answers. So a uh, big big feature on Mark Stone and how he uh, he's probably the biggest thief in the NHL. I can't wait to read the dressing room piece because it's much more of, a, of an exact science than people know. I mean, even things like when you've got you know. Uh, a big rookie coming in who's got a lot of pressure, you'll always find them sitting next to one of the veterans on the team. You know what I mean? And that's that's not an accident. So right. I'm really looking forward right. no to reading that. No surprise that Eichel's sitting right between Mark Stone and Phil Kessel. <laughs> yeah. Everything's, and, everything's and, for a reason. Uh, and Jesse, as you know, stealing is the best uh, form of flattery, and I will be stealing that topic uh, for a off-day <laughs> story go. in Minnesota this year. It's a great idea. <laughs> And yeah. uh, I could already tell you right now before doing the reporting that the player that all wild fans are going to that wild players are going to say they don't want to sit next to in the locker room is going to be Jordan Greenway. <laughs> um, apparently, uh, when I did the uh, that that poll a couple years ago on the 
player that you'd least like to have as a roommate. Greenway won in a landslide. <laughs> and uh, I think I think it'll happen in the locker room, too, because he's also a player that doesn't wear socks under his oh. skates. And so uh, I think that's going to be part of the uh, part of the, I could guarantee you that's going to be part of it. I'm going to be reading both of those pieces. So, guys, thanks a lot. I want to let everybody know, as we always do, about where you can find all of this content. Right now, believe it or not, we are on YouTube. You can subscribe to us uh, on YouTube, The Athletic Hockey Show. And, of course, give us a, uh, a follow on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a rating and a review. And you can subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. You get all the bonus content from our entire network. You start with a 30-day free trial. Then it's just $0.99 cents a month after that. And this offer still stands. You get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. The Athletic Hockey Show returns Thursday with Yamendez and down goes Brown. For Russo and Granger, I'm Rob Pizzo. We'll see you next week.